0: this 11th episode of spheres of influence spheres of influence is the podcast where we talk about those important spheres in our lives religion politics and culture my name is dennis sanders and i am your host if you are listening to this on a podcast service such as apple Podcasts or stitcher i hope that you will give um give me a rating and also write a review That is helpful for me and helpful for people to find uh, this podcast. Also, if you have any questions or ever want to um, have something, have an opinion that you wanted to share, uh, you can send me an email and that could go to denman at gmail.com. It is is D-E-N as in a room in a house, M-I-N-N, which is abbreviated for Minnesota. And um, so it's Denman all one word at gmail.com. So you're probably wondering, this is I think the third podcast I'm doing for this week. and um, the reason I'm I'm actually doing more podcasts than usual is just because it's the week after Easter um, for pastors. This is kind of a down week. We're not as busy. Um, some people are on vacation. Um, I didn't go on vacation this time, but I decided just to not be as busy. Um, and also, I kind of wanted to see if I could do something before tomorrow, partially because I took the, my second dose of the uh, coronavirus vaccine today. And um, and just want to make sure in case tomorrow or Saturday I'm not feeling great. Uh Anecdotally, I found it interesting, I got the Pfizer vaccine, so did my husband um, and my mother, and I don't think, from what I've heard, it seems like the the people who kind of really have really bad side effects tend to take the Moderna as opposed to the Pfizer. Um, and I have heard nothing about what happens for people that take um, the Johnson Johnson one. So... Hopefully, nothing will happen tomorrow, but I just wanted to be certain and try to get a few things done ahead of time. So, um, for this uh, 11th episode, um, I wanted to talk about um, really the history of the center right, especially when it comes to government policy, and where might the future lead us? And if that sounds a little kind of hazy, uh, don't worry, I will clear it up as we go along. So I want to start this off with a story, as I seem to always do. Um, As many of you know, I'm kind of one of those oddities, Um, a creature of the center right, but also African-American and gay. So that basically makes me a unicorn. Um, but because I'm kind of, that's where I'm at, I, I tend to believe that a free market can be harnessed to benefit society. I think that the free market is a good thing. Bad things can happen, but I think it's good. And, and the story that I always use to share of an example of how it can be used for good is, um, took place in 1999. I was um, actually had traveled to mainland China. And um, this was back when China was still our frenemy um, instead of kind of the situation where it is now. But I was there on um, um, through my seminary. Um, I had was in my second year. And this was a kind of a cross-cultural experience. So I spent some time in Hong Kong and some and and also a week in mainland China, um, kind of our base of operations when we were in in mainland China was in the city of Kunming. It is um in the western part of China, very close to Burma. Um, Kunming at the time was a city of about a million. It's probably a little bit more now, um, but. What fascinated me about Kunming was that it was a city of rapid change. You could tell that capitalism was in full swing and and they were trying to change um, as fast as possible. And, you know, you would get out of the airport, the streets were clogged with um, Western automobiles like Jeeps or Audis. Um, Some people decided they were going to make their own homemade car. Out of like a lawnmower or um, riding tractor, uh, there were skyscrapers everywhere. There were stores that were filled with Western items. This was a China that was very much involved in trying to modernize the society, and I think ultimately have has lifted up a lot of people out of out of poverty. There is a lot these days that I can, um, I am incredibly critical of China. But one of the things that I have been amazed and I thought was a good thing was that because of the market economy, China was able to become a richer nation. There were people who were more able to basically have food in their bellies where, you know, around the time of Mao, that wasn't happening. So a market economy can make changes for the better in a society. But as a Christian and as someone kind of from a reformed uh, religious background, uh, a Calvinist, free market's not infallible. Like anything in society, it is tainted with sin. And so there are times when the benefits of a market skewed they they don't go to everyone they only sometimes maybe only go to a few and sometimes market forces not because they're mean or anything but because that's how the market operates can cause havoc in a certain area or industry and i think the question here is what is the center-right or conservative response is it to let markets do their thing, or are there times that government, especially government, should intervene? Now, the market, of course, can do good things. It can do bad things. Um, and for center-right um, people, since the late 1970s, there has been a certain consensus, the Reagan consensus, and that was basically low taxes and low regulation. That has been what, any center-right politician has run on. Every, any senator, any governor, any presidential candidate, that's what they ran on. But while politicians were t- trying to talk about the latest tax cut, there was a change of foot among the, the Republican electorate. The party became less and less of a party of the country club, and it became more and more a party of Sam's Club. And there were two young men that noticed that change, Raihan Salam and Ross Douthat. And so they wrote a book about it in 2008. And that book was called Grand New Party. And it laid out how the GOP could become a party of the working class with actual policies that they could do. Of course, their suggestions were not considered. When 2016 rolled around in the presidential primary, what you found is that the voters were no longer interested in this consensus. They wanted something beyond low taxes. And in in 2016, Donald Trump at least sounded like he, he could talk in a way that the working class, working families could understand. All of this has made some people wonder, is the free market enough? Are the rewards of the free market being felt by everyone? Now, none of these people were basically abandoning the free market. None of them were advocating for socialism, but they're wondering if what has passed for conservative economics over the last 30 or 40 years Has run its course. There are two um, people that I have found fascinating. Actually, I I still find one of them fascinating. The other one, not so much. Um, The first is Senator Marco Rubio of Florida, and the second is Oren Cass, and uh, who worked at the Manhattan Institute and now has set up um, his own think tank called American Compass. And both of these two people, at least from what they were saying, wanted to look at the economy and how conservatives respond to it in a different way. Now, I think the, to now Rubio is less interested in um, caring about how to care about workers as he is about "quote unquote" owning the libs. But at least in, his, in the fall of 2019, he seemed to have an interest in how the economy can work for everyone. And he had this speech at Catholic University in Washington, D.C., and it was on what he called common good capitalism. And he based this on um, an encyclical. It was an encyclical from uh, Pope Leo the called *Rerum Novarum*. Um, in in this letter that the Pope wrote, he writes about care about how society should care for the the poor and for the workers, and in some ways also speaking against the rise of socialism. Many people believe that his this document, Rerum Novarum, in one way was one of the founding documents of what was later to be called Christian democracy. And I've talked about that before. It is a um, philosophy, um, some would say kind of as an offshoot of conservatism that is found in Europe, especially, and in Latin America. Um, The Christian uh, Democrats in Germany, and the Christian Democrats in Chile are the, the two most um, obvious examples. Rubio in that speech had this to say, and I will say this again, I don't think now Rubio thinks, takes this as seriously as he once did, if he ever did. But I think what he said were actually the right words. So I wanted to share this quote that he had from his 2019 speech. What we need to restore is common good capitalism, a system of free enterprise, wherein workers fulfill their obligation to work and enjoy the resultant benefits and businesses enjoy their right to make profit and reinvest enough to create high productivity jobs, which is what I mean by dignified work for Americans. Common good capitalism also means recognizing that the market determine what the market determines is most efficient, may not be best for America. Now, the other proponent, and the one that I think is still very much interested in these issues, is Orrin Cass. He was a policy advisor to Mitt Romney in uh, at Mitt Romney's twenty twelve presidential campaign. He wrote a book. Um, a few years later called the once in future worker i think it is a very good work uh, good book where he talks about um the needs maybe for for conservatism to really pay attention to workers in an article that he wrote which is kind of a, a shorter version of this of the book he wrote for the american interest he kind of summarizes that the sole marker of a thriving society can't just be the GDP. We cannot simply be a nation of consumers. And so um, here is what he says in that article. In making GDP growth and and rising consumption the central objectives of public policy, economic piety represents a truncated and ultimately self-undermining concept of prosperity. Workers have no standing in this view of, of the economy, neither do families neither do their families or communities. Households that see their economic prospects plummet or their livelihoods vanish should ask for a government check and be placated when they get when they get one. Towns that can no longer sustain themselves become places that people should just leave. Politicians will pay lip service to the importance of education and training, but they will not hold themselves accountable for such programs actually working. The economic pie's expansion, regardless of what or who gets left behind, is the goal. Maintaining a healthy, inclusive society is a hope for byproduct, not an end in itself. So Cass is concerned about what is the, the, the goal of, of a healthy society? And he believes that for far too long, conservatism has been worried simply about the GDP or about the stock market. Um, and for all of his talk in 2016 about the working class, um, once he became president, Donald Trump seemed to only talk about the stock market. But the stock market isn't really a doesn't really tell you anything about society all it tells you is about how people who have invested are doing not everyone now this is not the first time that persons on the center right have been concerned about how do you deal with issues like poverty? How do you help those who are poor to get a leg up in society? In the 1840s in the UK, there was a man who was also on the right in that country who was concerned about what he was seeing. He was seeing the upper classes and the lower classes and how they were acting In two different ways, it was not helpful. He says this upon observation. We have become two nations, the rich and the poor, between whom there is no intercourse and no sympathy, who are as ignorant of each other's habits, thoughts, and feelings as if they were dwellers in different zones or inhabitants of different planets. The person who said that was Benjamin Disraeli. He later became prime minister uh, for the, uh, as a conservative party prime minister in the UK. He wanted to provide an answer because he was concerned about the social division that he saw in the UK. And so what he decided to do is to promote programs and reforms that could lessen the class differences and really bring the the nation together that became a term called one nation conservatism and in many ways that has been one of the strongest factions within the U, the United Kingdom's conservative party um so i mean we're talking about a 150 year old tradition that has um continued and so the core tenant of this belief of one nation conservatism is that it's incremental reform, not socialism, not laissez-faire libertarianism, not native populism, that creates a healthy society. And in some ways there has been a one nation tradition in the United States, but it's been found actually in both political parties. in the last, over the last year, the last um, century or so. Now, there is one commentator, One, um, well, there are many commentators, but there is one particular that has responded to this cry for a more active government to help workers, Um, and it has bothered him over and over again, and that is, Uh, commentator, um, Jonah Goldberg. Now, I have to admit, I like a lot, sometimes a lot of what Goldberg is talking about. He is actually a very good, um, I think, thinker. Um, He is someone that I think is, he tries to, I think he does really think about these issues. But, as you can, as you're probably guessing, I don't always agree with him. And he has a lot of problems with, especially with Orrin Cass. These two seem to fight each other. um, And they both get riled up at each other. Goldberg still believes in the Reagan consensus. He believes in the importance of the free market. He knows, he believes that free markets can do a lot of good. And in some ways, I would agree with him. But he does not like um, Cass and others who are talking about this different way of approaching it. And in some ways, I think he looks at it as if they are casting off any type of interest in the free market, which is not the case, but it's how he sees it. And so I want to share his um there are two quotes, and I think they are fascinated, fascinating, on what they say, and when, in a peek into, I think what I think has been the overall guiding philosophy of the GOP for the last forty years or so. So this is what Jonah Goldberg says: I keep hearing people say or imply that libertarians and free market fundamentalists have been running the show in Washington. I have honestly, I honestly have no idea what they're talking about, and neither do any libertarians I know. In fairness to Cass, he doesn't make the barmy claim that Washington has been run by libertarians, just a slightly less barmy claim that the Republican Party has been. I still have no idea what he's talking about, and again, neither do any libertarians I know. What vexes me about the rhetoric of Cass's project and that so many conservatives and that of so many conservatives these days if they are simply mimicking the rhetorical tactics of Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, not to mention William Jennings Bryan, Herbert Crowley, Teddy Roosevelt, FDR, LBJ et al. Now these conservatives are making it bipartisan. Our real biggest problems stem from our refusal to regulate capitalism enough or at all. So, there's a lot to talk about here in, in some ways he seems to be saying that to criticize the market is basically aping it's basically to be a liberal and i don't necessarily think that's the case but that's what wilberg tends to lean towards but there are a lot of questions here it's are conservatives supposed to love the market so much that they will never question it? And I think about what are all places like my hometown of Flint or Youngstown where changes to the economy have basically really hurt those cities. Is the answer simply that these people should just move? When Pope Leo wrote *Rem Novarum* in the 1880s, he was writing it at a time when workers were being exploited by employers, and socialism was an attractive answer. But of course, socialism wanted the state to take over the means of production and private property, and Pope Leo wanted to show a different way. He was hardly a revolutionary. He was simply trying to find a third way that provided. Dignity to workers without abolishing private property. And I think that Orrin Cass is in many ways trying to pick up what Pope Leo started and also what Disraeli talked about, too. Ronald Reagan has, in many ways, been considered the father of modern conservatism and sometimes known as someone who doesn't like government. I think that that's a caricature of him. But, of course, it has been so long that people are used to this caricature. He was not in favor of big government, to be sure, but he believed that government had a role in safeguarding the Commonwealth. In his 2017 book, um, Henry Olson, who um, works at the Ethics and Public Policy Center, wrote this book called "Working Class Republicans," and he believes that in many ways Reagan was what could be called a New Deal conservative. That he he was someone who reconciled um, the New Deal with his belief in government. That he and you have to remember that Reagan was, did for many years, was a Democrat. And one of his heroes was FDR. And I think he had this strong belief that the primacy of human dignity sanctions government help for those who need it. That's something that he actually said. Now, Reagan, as I said before, Reagan's um, message has been corrupted. It's been basically morphing from a small government, small but limited or limited government conservatism to one that's more anti-government. But he believed in human dignity. And so he wanted to find ways that government could help when people couldn't help themselves. The question that we have to ask ourselves today is, how is modern conservatism, or in this case, the center-right, guarding the dignity of the common person? Now, I have to admit this is going to be hard because at this time, we don't really have a working conservative party. But for many of us who are on the outs, um, who are not ready to become Democrats, who believe in the primacy, the importance of the market, it's still important that we have a kind of a thinking idea of what we want government to do, what we want society to be like. the question that we have to ask is, again, is for those of us on the center right, what does it mean to guard the dignity of the common person? The answer that a lot of conservatives and libertarians will tell says something. If you have a job or without a job, you're supposed to take a job even if it pays less. Or if you can't find a job in your area, well, you should move. All of these answers are not as easy as you would, would, would think. Let's say yeah, and if you want if you if the answer is that you must move, well, do you move without a job? And do people who move have the money to move to this new place? And will they even find a good paying job once they get there? Sometimes I think we forget, you know, that whole moving to a promised land did not work so well for the people in the grapes of wrath. I'm just saying it did not work well. And this is the harder thing is some of the same people who are very worried about the, the that, that we're throwing away the importance of the market don't really talk about those people who abuse the market, the bankers, the hedge fund managers, the private, private equity firms, those companies, those people who make decisions that can affect thousands who work for them. Does the center-right, does conservatism have anything to say about bankers who sold loans to home loans to people that they knew would never be able to pay them back? And what about hedge fund managers like Eddie Lampert, who was the CEO of Sears and Kmart, who came in and trashed the company, he shut down stores, leaving remaining stores in disarray, basically destroying um, these two companies. And who very well can, might be able to walk away when all things are done, not losing a cent. And what about the private equity firms that loaded Toys R Us up with debt and then liquidated without paying severance to thousands of ploy- employees who were now jobless? For some reason, conservatives can be quick to tell the poor and the working class that when it comes to their own lives, they have to are responsible for themselves. That they have to go and find a new job, if it doesn't, even if it doesn't pay enough or move. But, but the rich seem to have no obligation at all. Conservatives and libertarians are right to see that markets can lift people out of poverty and into a better life. As I said, I saw that for myself in China 20 years ago. I think that markets are essential to creating a flourishing society. But we also have to remember that the free market is a tool It is not an end in and of itself. Sometimes that tool works perfectly and it can create and make change in a society. But sometimes it doesn't. Or it doesn't work as well as it should. So to bring us to that end, which is the the end is a flourishing society, we have to consider what other tools can get us there. This means that our dynamic economy has to be countered with government to help ameliorate the downsides. The great thing about dynamic economies is that they are dynamic, they're always changing. The bad side is they're always changing and people get lost in the middle. Now when conservatives hear the word government, we start to freak out. We start to think about large, impersonal programs like the United Kingdom's National Health Service. No offense to anyone who's British. I know you all love the NHS. I'm just saying that Americans get a little nervous about that. But I don't think that that's what's needed. I don't think that necessarily large programs like that, like in Europe, would work in the United States. But... What can work and what is needed is limited government, not small government, limited government, an active government that crafts policies that reward work without disparaging or damaging the market or free trade. Oren Cass, along with Abby McCloskey, wrote an article in National Affairs about how government can be used to reward and empower work through conservative policy. And there are many ways that this can be done. One example that they give is the earned income tax credit to change that from what it is right now to a work subsidy that would help provide money to working families immediately instead of waiting for tax time. It would also mean developing trade policies that would at least in, in ways would ameliorate some of the effects of free trade such as what happened when we allowed china into the world trade organization that caused a lot of bad things in american society how do we help those people not by blocking trade but by maybe finding new careers and putting money into that another idea and that has been done is through healthcare. We don't necessarily need a national health service, nor do we need single payer healthcare like in Canada. Obviously, I, actually, what we do need is the thing that probably, when it came out, I was a little hesitant of, and that is the Affordable Care Act, or as it's called, Obamacare. That program uses basically the free market working with government to provide health care to millions of Americans. It's not perfect. It has its problems. I should know because as of August of last year, I have been on the exchanges and I've been able to find a good priced health care plan. It allowed me to have health care. Whereas if we hadn't had this program, I wouldn't have had healthcare. What we need are not large government, but smart government. Government that can is active and helping to create that one nation that we that Benjamin Disraeli talked about. The free market is a great thing, and I think the free market has done a lot of good in the world. Contrary to popular opinion. But as I said earlier, it is not perfect. And if we don't pay attention to where it falls short, if we don't seek, as those of us on the center right, to actually create policies that can help people, that can help people who are in need, then the free market is in danger. And if we think that we don't want to have see socialized medicine here, just keep not doing anything. And we will have it through, that, through Medicare for all. I personally don't want Medicare for all. I think that that's too big. I think it crowds out private initiative. But if we don't do something, if we don't have active government that can help improve the lives of people, of of our fellow Americans, no, then get ready for Medicare for All. Well, thank you for being on this episode. That concludes episode 11 of um, Spheres of Influence. Be on the lookout for some upcoming episodes. I am doing two that are um, on religion. One is dealing with um, something that I have long promised, and that was to talk a little bit more about um, the mainline Protestant church and the importance of that church. Uh, Also, I want to talk about um, post-religious America, and this is basically based on that survey that came out during Holy Week about um, the steep dive in Americans who go to church and see religion as an um, important part of their lives. Um, some people like to think that an America that's less religious is a better America. And I don't think it is. And then the third thing is to be aware of is that upcoming is a um, probably an episode episode hopefully on um puerto rico um and statehood i have being puerto rican my mom is from puerto rico i've always supported puerto rican statehood um but it's been interesting as of late to see what seems to be kind of an independence movement working sub rosa and um i want to kind of talk about that talk about some of the some of the is is independence a good thing? Um, I have my suspicions about it. So we will be talking about that, and then finally, I hope to talk a little bit about the interstate highway system um, and race. I am hoping to get someone who is like me, someone that loves talking about transportation and loves the interstate highway system, but also is willing to talk about its shortcomings. So. Those are some upcoming episodes. Um, please consider rating um, the this podcast or leaving a um, review. That helps um, spread the word about it and help other people know about this podcast. Uh, do read some of the articles that are in the show notes. And I hope to, um, we will see you soon. Um, take care, be healthy. If you have not, received the um, COVID vaccine, please do. It is helpful. It will, um, it is necessary. So with all that, take care and Godspeed.